preach to you for just a few moments this morning? How many of you believe it'll be just a few moments? Nobody believes that. Nobody believes that. Oh, I promise with you, I won't, I won't abuse you for too long this morning. But get your Bibles open. It may take you just a minute. Go to the Old Testament. As the men are going up and down the aisle here, go to the Old Testament book of Zechariah. If you don't know where Zechariah is, the best way to get there is to go to Malachi and go one book left. All right, just go one book back to the book of Zechariah. In just a minute, I'm going to be reading to you Zechariah chapter 2, beginning with the first five verses. I'm going to talk about this in just a moment. But I believe on this last Sunday of 2007 that we need to hear a word from the Lord. As we conclude one year and prepare ourselves to start another year, I don't know about you, but I want to start with a word from the Lord. I'm not talking about a sermon. I've I've got plenty of sermons, plenty of teaching tapes, CDs. Um, I've heard a lot of messages in my life, sat through a lot of classes, But we need to hear a word from God that's different than that. I need to hear what God's up to, what's in his heart. And if you listened carefully through all the Christmas season, as I shared with you a little bit about the precepts of breakthrough, it will set the stage, I believe, for what the word of the Lord is to us this morning as a church, we're looking toward a brand new year. There were two things that happened to me over this holiday break that were notable, at least in my life, that I believe God used to quicken some things inside of me. And I want to tell you these two short stories uh, very, uh, very quickly. Number one is, when we were going to visit Clay and Bethany, we were driving down the interstate, actually got on I-85, and we're headed toward Gainesville. And as we were on the south side, so to speak, of Greenville, South Carolina, I began to notice, hadn't been that direction in some time, began to notice all the construction that had taken place since I'd driven by there last time. And it was amazing. There were uh, great office buildings, corporate buildings that were being constructed on both sides of the interstate. And there were several things that just struck me as we were driving by. In fact, even Kaylin mentioned it as she was looking at it as well. She said, uh, she said, Dad, look at the architecture of it. Look at the unusual design that's being uh, produced out of that construction project. And it was, it was It was unusual architecture. The enormity of the project just sort of struck me as I was looking at the size of the buildings that were being erected there on both sides of the interstate. And it was obvious to me, and I have no idea what corporations they are, who it is that owns them. I have no idea any of the budgets that that, uh, were set in order to build those buildings. But it was obvious to me that the sky was the limit for those particular corporations. I mean, these buildings were just in their early nascent stages, and I mean, already they were kind of wowing you as you drove by. And I mentioned to Tracy as we were driving down the road, I said, is it not interesting that corporations, it seems to me, when they begin to build or when they begin to develop certain things, it's like there's no conception of how much the thing's going to cost. There's no conception of what the budget is going to be. I mean, you just look at something like that and it just, it just says to you, we're enormous. We're here. We're doing business. You know, look to us. And it just sort of struck me at that moment how in the corporate world, there didn't seem to be any limits to what they could conceive of as a business. That just struck me at that particular moment. Now, a little later on in the week, I was flipping, doing my channel surfing. You know, that ought to be an Olympic event now, you know, channel surfing. So I'm channel surfing, and I get the History Channel. And they were actually doing a behind-the-scenes look through the years at Walt Disney and Disneyland and eventually Disney World. And the whole program had to deal with how Walt envisioned the parks that would eventually be built, how he envisioned some of the rides, the attractions. They began to talk about how certain things were constructed and how they had to overcome traditional concepts of engineering. And literally, Disney had to do things that had never been done before. 
In fact, they were sharing how many of the things they do now was actually, so to speak, hijacked by NASA. And NASA actually has taken several ideas from Disney in order to better engineer, so to speak, spacecraft and how they would get into space. But all this was done through these these people in the Disney organization. And the whole program was about how they overcame all the obstacles and all the concepts to do these things that had never been done before. And they actually had developed a team of people that they don't call engineers, but they call them Imagineers. Imagineers. Isn't that a great name? And all they do is they sit around and imagine. They get paid to imagine. They they just sit and think, what can we do to develop a new experience, to develop a new ride, to develop a new a new sensation, a new feeling. Let's just get out of the box. Let's just get out of conceptual uh, 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 limitations. And let's just begin to ask ourselves, what could be done if we could just do it? And the sky was the limit. Money wasn't an option. And we're not going to be bound by anything or anyone. And so that's what they do. They conceive these things. And what they would eventually come to was they would build the inconceivable or they would build the impossible and amazingly once one person did it then everybody can do it but somebody had to imagine it now there were several thoughts and emotions that began to swirl in me through this week as I considered just kind of what God was saying in all of this and and I wrote down here why is it that the world has so sophisticatedly harnessed the power of imagination, and the church has such trouble embracing it. Why is it that a company like Disney has no trouble kicking the can't out of their vocabulary, but Christians have no trouble at all living in it? Despite the fact that we own the verses, like Philippians 3, 4, 13, excuse me, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You see, 2008, I believe, is going to be a great year. It's not just a pithy saying. Things will be great in 2008. Isn't that really kind of neat? How the Holy Ghost kind of rhymes that, you know, you just... I I believe 2008 is going to be a great year. But it's going to take dreaming and envisioning at a level that you and I have never been before. We're going to have to somehow embrace... An imagineering that has never happened before in maybe some of our lives. And, and so this morning, for just these moments, I want to I want to teach on what I've entitled "Breaking Our Measuring Sticks." Breaking our measuring sticks. Most of you would recognize this, would you not, as a yardstick? It's a pretty simple Walmart wooden yardstick. I want you just to keep this in mind because at the end of the message, I'm going to come back to this in just in that moment. And and it's going to be a very important moment, I think, for all of us. But in the verses that I've selected for this morning, we're going to find a man with a measuring stick. And God had to deal with him. And it's found in Zechariah chapter 2, verse 1. Let me read it to you. It says this, the prophet speaking. He says, then I raised my eyes and looked and behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. In other words, he was walking around, so to speak, with a, with a yardstick. Verse 2, so I said, where are you going? And he said to me to measure Jerusalem, to see what is its width and what is its length. And there was the angel who talked with me going out, and another angel was coming out to meet him, who said to him, run, speak to this young man, saying, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as towns without walls because of the multitude of men and livestock in it. For I, says the Lord, will be a wall of fire all around her and I will be the glory in her midst. And we're going to talk for just a moment about breaking our measuring sticks. Now, the vision that Zechariah received that I just read to you had to deal at the time with the restoration of Jerusalem. God was beginning to sew into the fabric of Israel exactly what Jerusalem would look like when it would be restored, how it would be rebuilt, how it would be reestablished. 
And obviously that would be a desirous thing for any God-fearing Jewish person. They would want to see their home city restored. Unfortunately, there was a problem that had to be addressed before any restoration could take place. And that problem is summed up in this particular vision that we read this morning. There was this man, apparently representing the Jewish people, or at least the Jewish mentality of that particular day. But there was this man who had a measuring line, he had a measuring stick in his hand, and he was attempting to measure Jerusalem. Now, what did that symbolize? What was... What was the Lord trying to say at that particular moment? Well, the answer is, is that that measuring line or that measuring stick represented the human boundaries. Or in other words, the box in which basically we could conceive of that God could work in. So so he was measuring things in which he was convinced God would move in. They were placing God in this, this box of his activity and his ability. He, if they could measure it, they could begin to figure out maybe how and why and where God could do what he could do. And basically, the angel of the Lord said, tell that young man to put away his measuring stick. Tell that young man to forget about creating any boxes. Because God does not want, nor will he be kept in a box of man's making. It doesn't matter how big your measuring stick may be, God is greater than the measuring stick. It doesn't matter how long, how wide, how high you think he could go. God is greater than all of that. And that's exactly what the Lord was saying. He was saying, let them know there's no sense measuring the city because there's going to come a day when this city will be without boundaries. There's going to come a day when there'll be so many folk here because you see, if you measure Jerusalem, I can figure out how many folk can fit here. But God said, don't measure it. There'll be more folk than your measuring stick can handle. And you need to break that particular measuring stick. You need to let God, so to speak, out of his box to do what ultimately his heart is to do. Now, the question I put, and I put it on the screen overhead, is how is God kept in a box? How is God kept in a box? As you will recall from our Christmas teaching, I told you that God is sovereign and God cannot be restrained in any way, shape, or form. If he could be restrained... In some ways, that would somehow diminish who he was as God. So God can do what he wants to do anytime he wants to do it, and nobody can stop him. That's what it means to be sovereign. But at the same time, I told you that it's equally true that he has linked himself, and he has decided to do this by virtue of his own decision to link himself to his people's cooperation at times. There are certain things that he has chosen to do or not to do based on what it is we choose to do. The angel said that the young man in the vision had to be spoken to. Isn't it interesting? See, God could do whatever he wanted to do in Jerusalem and wouldn't have to tell anybody. Isn't that a good word? Good word is God doesn't have to check in with you and he doesn't have to check in with me if he wanted to do something. He doesn't have to say, well, I better better find out what they think about it before I do something. I better get approval. I better get somebody to vote on this to make sure this is okay for me to do this. How many of you know God doesn't need a vote? He doesn't need that because he's sovereign. But yet he says, speak to this young man. There was something that that young man had to be reminded of. He either didn't know it or needed to be made aware of it again. And that is, is that God was going to link his activity up with their mentalities and thought processes. Could God sovereignly restore Jerusalem? Sure he could. But this was one of those moments that he was going to link himself with his people. I honestly believe that it's God's heart to rebuild and to restore and to take back unto himself again Charleston, South Carolina. I believe that. I believe that's his heart. The reason I believe that's his heart is because I've heard too many prophetic words from years past. I've received personally too many prophetic words and 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 prophecies and exhortations and encouragement through the years to believe anything less. I believe the heart of God is to do something incredible, unimaginable, unbelievable in this city where you and I live. And here is the key. He really could do that at any time it suited him. Anytime he wanted to do it, he could do it. However, I believe 
he desires to link himself with some people who, by virtue of their obedience and by virtue of their faith, will let him out of the box. Will no longer limit his activities. Will no longer limit his abilities by certain features in order that he can do what ultimately he wants to do. Now the question is, how, how do you box them in? I mean, how, how, how in the world could you limit the limitless? How in the world could you restrain the sovereign? How, how, how could this even be? I want to suggest to you, out of the Bible, that there are at least five boxes that you and I can really put God in that he will restrain, by virtue of his own decisions, he will restrain himself from moving in our situations. Five boxes that can limit the Lord's ability. The first one is this, our traditions. You know, Jesus looked at the religious leaders of his day in Matthew 15, verse 6, and he said, because of your traditions, you have made of no effect the word of God. Because of your traditions, you have made effect of no effect the word of God. He told the religious leaders of that day, that because of their traditions, they had, they had voided what God could do by virtue of his word. Now, I wrote down here that a tradition is a religious activity that is not explicitly commanded by the scriptures. A tradition is a religious activity that is not explicitly commanded by the scriptures. Now, the reason I say that is because of this. There are people who say, well, you know, communion, is that a tradition? And my answer is, well, no. It can get the spirit of tradition on it, but it's not a tradition per se, because Jesus instructed us through the scripture that when we receive communion, and we we are to do that, we do that in remembrance of him. We do that until he comes. And so that's, that's a scriptural command. So... So while we can, we can cause it to be familiar and, and we can cause it to lose its power and its freshness, it's not tradition in the technical sense. A tradition is a religious activity that is not explicitly commanded by the scriptures. Yet we do it out of habit. It's just something we do. And, and the leaders of Jesus' day place more value on certain traditions than the word of God. Now we need to understand that a tradition is great only when it contains the life of God in it. In other words, when we do things just because that's the way we've always done it, then that tradition needs to go. Now, if the life of God is in it, that's great. You know, there there are moments, and again, the cross is a symbol. I'm just going to use this as an example. Here at our church, and the season that we're in, because we preach the cross, we preach repentance, you know, we have these symbols, cross symbols, indicating the power of the cross. And oftentimes people come and, and they'll spend time at the cross and it, it's helpful in imagining or in visualizing what the cross can do in people's lives. Now listen to me very, very carefully. Nowhere in the scripture does it say build a cross and plop it in the middle of your sanctuary. Right? How many of you know you can come to a cross because that's what we do. That's what everyone does. I go through this tradition And it becomes a substitute for the real life and movement of God. There are churches all over Charleston. How many of you know we are in tradition central here? I remember one time, this is years ago, I took away, I'll just tell the story. You know, church used to have palm crosses. And we used to make these palm crosses and hand them out. And they were nice little things that people did. Well, I remember one year I just said, hey, don't do the palm crosses. You know, this one sweet lady had to do it all the time. It really really put her out and... And it, it just, there wasn't anything to it. Well, I got a phone call from another person about that palm cross, and you'd think I'd re-crucified the Son of God. That's what we do. We hand out palm crosses. Really. That's what it's all about. Your anger, your vehemence, your irritation is, is, is of this magnitude because that's just what we do. That is a tradition that's manifesting that has to die. Guys, I, I, I like all sorts of things. There's traditions and wonderful things that can be meaningful. But ultimately, I need the life of God, and we need the life of God. And we've got to get that in our mentality, that our traditions can limit what it is God can do. We've got to have the life of God in what we're doing. So tradition can be the, one of the boxes. Number two is our fears. Our fears. The scripture says, 2 Timothy 1.7, For God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. 
You've heard me say this before. Fear and faith cannot exist together. One will eventually overcome the other. And so you need to understand that if you function in fear all the time, you'll begin to limit what God can begin to do because he works in our lives by faith. Think about this for just a second. The Israelites could not go into their promised land initially because there was a fear of the giants. Now, God is sovereign. God can do anything. He can blast in and and, and just swoop his arm, and everything is knocked out of the way. He's God. He can do that. But God limited himself, so to speak, based on the fears of that initial Israelite generation who said, the giants are too big, the giants are too bad, we are as grasshoppers in our own eye, and they began to speak their fears, and because of speaking their fears, it limited, so to speak, what God could do in them, through them, and for them. That fear became their box. And God says, since your fear is in the wilderness, I'll just let you exist in the wilderness for a little while longer. Fear. Number three, our mentality. Our mentality. Ephesians 3.20 says this. Paul writes this. He says, and now, unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could, what? Above what? Ask or think. God can do more than we could ask or think. Do you really believe that? Do you really? Do you really believe that God could do something outside of the framework of what you've got figured out? The problem arises when we begin to say that God can only work through or by how we think. We begin to say to ourselves, well, as long as I can figure everything out, that must be God. As long as it works out on paper, that must be God. Well, as long as we can get all the facets and and, and things beginning to, to fit together just perfectly, well, that must be God. No, that may not be God. That just may be your organizational skill. That may just be your thought pattern, the way you begin to put things together. God wants to get out of the box of our limited mind and mentalities and surpass all of that by doing things that exceed what we can begin to conceive or envision. So your very mentality. For some of you right now, if if God were to suddenly give you $100 miraculously, that would blow your mind. Can I just share with you that he'd like to put a lot more zeros behind that? But you've got it figured out somehow in your mind that if just maybe a hundred bucks came this way, whoa, whoa, that would be God. No, God could do even more than that. Amen. Our mentalities. Number four, another box, our confessions. Our confessions. Mark's Gospel, chapter 11, verse 23. Jesus looked at him and said this. If you you will begin to pray and believe him, he says that anything that you say, anything that you speak... By faith in his name, it shall be done. If you say to that mountain, be thou removed and cast into the sea, it shall be moved. Now, now, the Lord said you had to say it. Now, if you're not saying what needs to be said, then God will be limited in what he will ultimately do. The Lord says that our confession and our words will release or it will restrict his activity in our life. That's why the Bible says that death and life are in the power of the tongue. Your confession, your tongue is the rudder of your life. It's what God created in you in order to give direction to where you are headed. And if our confession is negative, if our confession is limited, if our confession has boundaries and walls to it, then then that's where we're going to live and exist. But when you get your confession lined up with what God says and who God is, then the Lord says, I can begin to move in that and and do the inconceivable. And then finally, number five, our presuppositions. Our presuppositions. You see, this young man in our text that I read to you in Zechariah had a presupposition. His presupposition was that God could only work within the boundaries of his measuring stick. That's why he was out measuring. I, I can't tell you how this spoke to me, especially out of everything we've faced in recent days. You don't know how many times I've crunched numbers 
in order to conceive a budget that would work with regards to accessing land and paying for it. You don't know how many times I've had to look and say, is this something we can do? And are we going to have to take another offering? Or who is it that could potentially give? Or who is it that might step up to the plate? I can't tell you how many times in the last month or so I pulled out a measuring stick and begun to measure things with regards to what we could do as a congregation, what we can begin to move into as a congregation. There, there was, I'll be honest with you, I had a presupposition. Well, I know there's a couple hundred people that attend our church. I know how many giving units there are. I know this, I know that. And they have all sorts of formulas that they'll give you to figure out. And you'll go through all of those things. Do they have a place? Probably. But the fact of the matter is that place begins to raise the measuring stick back up in your life. And so you begin to measure. Can you do this? Can I get this? And it becomes a presupposition that somehow or another, God is restricted to this tape measure. Somehow or another, God is restricted because, well, we got a couple hundred people that go to our church. God is restricted because there's only X amount of giving units. We're restricted because there's only this or because there's only that. It is time we broke the stick. And if I break it, I want you to break yours. We got to break our sticks. I've had people say to me, well, you know, this is how they do it in an Episcopal church. Well, we need to break our Episcopal stick. We need to break our Nazarene stick. We need to break our Baptist stick. We need to break our Catholic stick. We need to break our Lutheran stick, our Presbyterian stick. We need to break a few charismatic sticks as well. We got to break our measuring sticks. We got to break, you know, some of us need to break our racial sticks. Now I'll get to preach. I'll get to meddling now. Gender sticks, economic sticks. I've had people go, well, we know we, we really need to reach the more affluent. No, we don't. We just need to reach God. Now, do I want to reach the affluent? Sure I do. I'm not reaching them for their wallet. I'm reaching them for their soul. And then we'll get their wallet. But the truth of the matter is you don't got to reach somebody and you don't have to somehow put your stick up to it and say, well, they could be the one. No, they're not the one. He's the one. He's the one. The stick needs to be broken. Well, how? How do we break our measuring stick? How do we let God out of our boxes? It's what I put on the screen overhead. The Spirit spoke to me about this. I just started scratching out notes. I know this is a word for me, but I'm going to share it with you because I believe as long as it's a word for me that why should I be the only one that gets challenged? I'm, I'm going to share it with you and you consider. You, you, you pray. You seek God. If nothing else, I hope that something's lit under you to begin to consider what sticks in your life need to be broken. But the Holy Spirit spoke to me about certain things that I believe he wants to do in 2008. And I wrote down here, if 2008 is to be the year that you move from good to great, you must turn good intentions into godly actions on the screen you got to write that one down that one's that one is that one's you can you can put down pastor baird at the bottom of that i, I didn't steal that from anybody that's mine if 2008 is to be the year you move from good to great you must turn uh, good intentions into godly actions good intentions into godly actions i know but that's the the, the quote i may have typed it wrong good intentions into godly actions as the Lord was speaking to me, let me just share with you because you, you'll be able to relate. I, I, I finally got this insight on myself, and that is I am full of good intentions. Can I just share something you are too? We're, we're all full of good intentions. We're all full of good motives. How many times have we said, well, I intended to, you know, I, I intended to go there. I, I intended to do that. I, I, I intended to get started on that book. I, I, I intended to, to be there. I intended, I intended, well, I intended, or this. Well, you, well, you, my, my motive was, well, if you just understood my motive, you know, my motive really was this. And we all do it, don't we? To be candid, the reason we do it is because we secretly believe that because God knows my heart 
Have you ever heard that when you get called on the carpet on something? The first thing that comes up is, well, my motive, I intended, well, God knows my heart. That's true. But we have this secret belief that he accepts our intentions and our motives as obedience in full. Did you get that? We have this secret belief that that somehow God accepts my intention. Well, I tended to do all of these things, and, and my motive was this. So God secretly accepts our intentions and our motives, we think, as obedience in full. We believe that because we were well-intended, that we are okay. Isn't that amazing? Because how many of you know that certainly doesn't work with salvation? You can say, well, I intended to get right with God. Well, you know, my motive was to serve the Lord. I intended to make that decision. I intended to get this right. I intended, I intended. How many of you know God's going to look one day and say, I, you had great intentions, wonderful motives. You never acted in obedience. Are you with me? We drag that in in all areas of life. My intention, my motive. This is a great revelation. And it's this. God does not judge us on our intentions. He judges us on our actions. Are you hearing me? Now that's, that can be good news and bad news. God does not judge us on our intentions, but on our actions. I may intend to pray. My motive is to pray. God, how many times have I said, I need to pray more? I, I, I need to pray. That's my intention. But how many of you know, nothing will move in the heavenlies because I intend to pray. I must pray. Are you with me? I can intend to read the Bible. How many times have I said, this year I'm going to read my Bible. This year I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And my motive is to do it. I'm well intended and motive. And I can, I can say all of that and intend away. But just because I intend to do it does not mean that I put the word of God into my system. It only counts if I read it. I may intend to give. It may intend to tithe. I may intend to do all of it. You know, my intention is wonderful. But can I tell you, you can intend all sorts of things, but the curse still exists. The heavens are still closed. You will not be released to your destiny just because you have great intentions. There comes a moment that intention must give way to obedience. Intention will never open heaven's doors. I may intend a lot of things, but God moves when I act. God moves when I obey. A couple weeks ago, I began to create a list of goals. Just I just do this for myself, for 2008. Some of those goals were personal. Some were spiritual. Some were church-related. Some, some I've got in my mind that have yet to been put down, be put down on a piece of paper. Now, understand where... I'm coming from. I've written all these things out on a yellow legal pad and I intend to accomplish all of them. But God isn't interested in my intention as much as he is my action. Now, some of you need to do the same thing. You need to sit down in the next two days before 2008, get you out a piece of paper, begin to write yourself down some God goals, not just things that you're going to fail out instantly and, 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 and be under self-condemnation, but begin to seek God and begin to say, Lord, there are some things in my life that I need to go as unto you, and you need to begin to write them down, and somewhere on that page you need to say, I'm not just intending, but I'm going to act and move in these directions. Now, I did that, like I said, in all these different areas, and when it comes to church, of course, I'm not the only one involved in that. You all are involved in that as well. And I've come to the realization that in church life, because you're dealing with really a voluntary organization, I mean, nobody makes you, forces you, nobody twists your arm and runs you into legacy every Sunday. I mean, you come because you want to come, and I'm grateful for that. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you want to be here. I, I, I'm honored that you would be here. There are days I wonder why you even come. So, I mean, I'm just, I understand all of that. You can't force a church to do anything, really. All you can do is somehow ask the Lord for an anointing, and out of that anointing, begin to speak and to declare and to allow a Holy Ghost persuasion to enter into the mix so that folks will say, you know what, I need to do that in my life as well. And, and I'm just going to give you just a couple things. I, can't get, I think I wrote down about 45 things. We would be here till tomorrow 
if I went down. I'm just going to give you just four or five things here real just bang, 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 and I'm done. Number one is this is, this is something I believe in order to, to take the limits off of what God can do, to begin to conceive something that's inconceivable, to begin to believe what God can do. Number one is, is that my conversation and my confession need to be put in order. I'm going to force my tongue, be it in public or be it in private, I'm going to force my tongue to speak consistently the promises of God. I've spent most of my life considering why it won't work, why it seems like it's going to shut down, why this thing can't happen. I've spent a lot of my life speaking that stuff. I've determined in 2008, I'm going to start setting my rudder in accordance with the ship and begin to speak the promises of God. I'm going to speak it no matter what. Now, I believe my family is going to enter into it. In fact, at times, they're far better at it than I am. But it doesn't matter whether they choose or not choose. It doesn't matter whether you choose or not choose. I have determined for me, I am going to set the rudder right. My words are going to be with vision, with possibility, even if I have to deal with sin. Listen to me. We see the sticks breaking right there. Even if we're dealing with sin, even if we're dealing with a tough issue in 2008, even if I have to come and spank you, can I just share this with you? I spank my children, but the reason I spank them isn't because I get this sadistic delight in making their fanny sing. I spank them because I want destiny in their life. I spank them because I know when they're going off a cliff and when they're not acting right and when they're being sassy or smarty or whatever they're being. The reason I, I adjust them, you know, that's how you adjust kids sometimes. You know, your hand is that ratchet and that fanny is that bolt and you just adjust them a little bit. I didn't say abuse them. There's somebody who walk away and say, oh, he believes in abuse. No, I don't. I don't think you ought to abuse anybody. But a little adjustment will wake them up. Wake up. I love you. I'm not doing it because I'm sadistic. I'm doing it because I love you. You got a destiny. You got a promise. You got a future. God's got plans for you. I'm not going to let you go off that cliff without a little. Without a little. You understand? That's love, people. Don't you let the world convince you any other way. That's love. When I come up and I say, we're out of line or we got to get in order or you need to conform or you need to get back. I'm not doing that because I get this sadistic thrill of watching you squirm and get irritated, possibly offended. I do it because I love you and that there's more in you than you see. Why would I let you run off the cliff? Why would I let you make dumb decisions unless there was this great promise? This great future. And here, I'm just telling you right now, our confession and our conversation need to be drawn back into that which is, is inconceivable, unimaginable, what God can do. And he'll work in that. He'll move in that. Even the prophets of old, when they were declaring, I will pour out my fiery indignation on all flesh. Man, that's a pretty tough word, isn't it? Even when they did that, they'd come around and they begin to say, because God has a future and a plan and a hope and a possibility. But we've got to get our conversation and our confession right. Number two, fasting. Fasting. Everyone say fasting. I don't intend, I will act on this, that at least twice every year, I'm going to enter into a fast. If God has called us to be a church that sets people free, you believe that? I believe that. We are called to set people free. Jesus said there were some things that would only come out through prayer and what? We, we better learn how to do this. I better learn how to do it. If I don't model it, I can't expect you all to catch hold of it. So I'm just telling you, I fasted in days past, but I don't know how far up the list it has been, but now I'm declaring it is now up on my list. Fast. I'm going to enter into a fast on January the 2nd. I won't take away your football snack day, guys. If you'd like to join me on the 2nd, you're welcome to. There are all sorts of fasts you can enter into. Some people fast a meal. Some people enter into Daniel fast. I'm not, I'm not teaching on the fast this, this morning except to say I'm entering into a fast. I'm, gonna, I, I'm not only entering into food abstention, but I'm entering into, we've already determined, we're shutting that TV off some, and we're getting our heads in that which is edifying and pure. 
I, I got a, a goal for reading a certain amount of books this year, and I'm going to get that in my system. I have let too many books go unread. They're going to get read. Fast. Fast. Let me tell you, we want to see freedom. We've got to begin to fast. I, I just wrote down here, I've got to fast as a pastor. I'm fasting 40 days for 40K. Amen. 40 days for 40K. We've got to access true spiritual power. We've got to see people set free. We've seen people set free, but we've watched others struggle and, 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 and others persevere. But yet we know that not everything has been done. I believe that if as a congregation we entered into fasting more regularly, we'd really see people set free for certain, for sure, forever. Amen. But I'm going to need some more to enter into that with me. Fasting. Number three, spiritual goal setting. Spiritual goal setting. I, I, I've already put it down on my yellow pad that there's, there's a certain amount of the Bible I'm going to get read this year. Now, I've read the Bible through several times in my life. So it's not like I've never done that before. But you know what? I've determined this year, my head and my nose is going to be in the Word of God far more than it's in anything else. So we need to set some goals. What, what are your goals in that area? Have you got a goal? I think we ought to goals. Some of you need to do this. You need to set a goal about what your prayer time is going to be every day. Don't intend to pray. We've got to set a goal and say, I am going to pray every day. Some of you need to make sure you're here on Sunday when the house of God is open. We need people praying. One of my goals, this is one of my personal goals, is that 50, 50 plus people will show up at 930 to begin to pray before service. I, I'm just, I just throw it out there. I may not see it, but I figure if I don't declare it, I probably won't see it either. So I'm just going to start speaking those things that be not as though they were. Amen. How many books are you going to read this year? Are you, are you in a connect group? Do you want to get connected? Do you want to be discipled? Are you going to be here on Wednesday? I mean, are you setting some goals for 2008 in order to get you positioned in order for God to do some inconceivable, exceeding great things in your life? And, and then number four here, and, I, and I'll end with this one. I, I believe God's calling me this year. And, and, and maybe some of you will enter into it as well. But God's calling me this year to some great, faith moments what do i mean by that you know for a lot of us our christian life is lived pretty normal we're, we're familiar with it we've walked with god for a good while now you know we know how it works we know maybe even more than other people know and, and so we've gotten used to it we've gotten familiar to it as we've walked along the path but i just ran across that verse of the roman centurion who when he asked Jesus to heal his servant, Jesus said he'd come, but the centurion said, no, I'm a man under authority, and I understand that if you but speak the word, my servant will be healed. And Jesus' response to him was this, such great faith I've not seen in all of Israel. And I believe that God is looking for people in his church, in spiritual Israel, that he can look at one more time and say, such great faith. Such great faith. I'm not seeing that kind of faith in all of my body as I've seen in that person or I've seen in that people. Such great faith. I want some great faith moments. And, and I'm going to be honest with you. My wife is way better at great faith moments than I am. You know, she's the one that when it comes time to do something sort of out of the box and different and trust God. I mean, she's usually on the forefront and the first one there. And so she probably will have that one down just like that. But for me, I like to analyze it, look at it, measure it, figure it out, weigh it. And that's how I usually approach things. But God's asking me this year that I'm going to have to enter into some great faith moments. I don't know what all that may mean. I got a feeling it's going to touch my pocketbook on an occasion or two. But truth of the matter is, if I want to see God do something that is exceeding abundantly above all that I could ask or think, then I'm going to have to position myself out there in order that either he comes through or I'm hung. And we're living in an era that calls that foolishness. Now, I don't think we should be foolish or be presumptuous, but folks... We have turned foolish and presumption into words that solicit this fear from us to where we're not walking in faith either. 
I, I mean, we, we, we say we're being prudent when truth of the matter is we're being resistant. We say we're exercising wisdom when truth of the matter is you're being soulish and you're trying to be rational and logical. We, we've redefined Christian words in order to make it fit where we're at. And I'm saying it's time to break that and begin to walk where God would have us walk. You've got to believe that for your own life. There are some of you right now. You're needing God to move in your life in 2008 in some incredible, inconceivable ways. And right now you're saying to yourself, I don't, you're saying, I can't see how it would be different. I can't see how God will do it. I don't understand. And you're doing just like I do. You're measuring. And I'm telling you, God is saying it is time to break your stick. It is time to break it. It is time to believe him. It is time to rise up and to put your confession in order with what his word says he can do. It is that moment, I believe, as a body that we can rise up and people will say, I don't see how a church of that size can do what they do. It's because it's not the size of the church, it's the size of their God. Amen. Gideon didn't need 30,000, he just needed 300. It's not in chariots and horses. It's not in the size of the army. It's the size of the God in the army. Amen. And I'm telling you, if God sees that and he hears that and he watches that, there's something in his heart, I believe, that will go, I can, I can move in unparalleled, unbelievable, unconceivable ways. I'm sorry, Disney should not have the upper hand on the body. Just shouldn't have it. No way. Shouldn't, shouldn't do it. I'm sorry, I don't care what corporation it is. It should not have the upper hand on the body of Christ as to what God could do. To begin to break the stick. So, my challenge to you this morning and for 2008 is to simply say, are you ready to do more than just resolve one more time? Are you ready to do more than just intend to do something better one more time? But are you ready to get that true revelation of what God could do if we just broke the stick? Just break the stick. Break the stick. Once you break the stick, you're letting God out of the box that you put him in. Let's stand for just a minute, shall we? As you're standing right now, I want you to consider right now, just as you're standing, what what area of your life, this is your personal life. I'm I'm, I'm glad if you embrace some of my goals and church goals. Believe me, I'd be happy for that. But I'm asking you right now personally, what areas in your personal life right now that, that the Lord has already revealed to you and is saying, you need to break the stick. You need to break the measuring stick in this area. You put God in a box, you know you've put him there. And it's just time the stick got broken. What, what area is that in your life? I, I, want you just, I want you to bring it up before the Lord. And right now where you're standing, I want you just to go to him. I'm going to pray right now. And, and this is what I want you to enter into, something like this. Say, Lord, I repent for pulling out the measuring stick. Lord, I repent for that right now. I have encased you. I have boxed you in because of certain things I've done. It might be my mentality. It might be my fears. It might be my confession. Lord, it, it might be some traditions. But Lord, I've, I've boxed you in and I've limited the Holy One of Israel. And Lord, I repent from that. I turn from that. Today's my day. The last Sunday of 2007. And I'm looking to 2008. I repent and I turn and I'm prepared to break the stick. I'm prepared to break the stick. I'm going to ask you this right now. If that's you, maybe everybody in the house, if it's not you, maybe, you know, like I said, it doesn't phase me if one person comes or everybody comes. I I just want you to experience all of God that's available for you. But but I just want us to gather here at the altars just real quick. And that's you. If you need some sticks, if you need to break a stick, just slip out real quick. And I'm going to do something here. We got to do this real fast. Just want to be faithful in the few moments we have left. If you need to break some sticks right now, Come on down. I, I, this is, 
You know what they did in ancient Israel? This is what they did at times. They would lay their hands. I, I was reading just recently about how they would lay hands on the scapegoat. And, and he, that would be a transfer of their sin. And then they would send the scapegoat off into the wilderness. And uh, that was just a vivid illustration of how their sins were, 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 were going away from them. They were being released from them. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to start. I, I want you just... just here, I want you just to touch that stick. I'm going to do something with it for just a second. But just, just touch that stick as it goes by. You don't have to grab it very long. But that stick, I want you to think about that. That stick is your, uh, is, is your box. I don't want to hit you on the head or anything. Man. It is. It's your box. It's your box, guys. You need to touch some sticks back there. Just, I mean, that just, come on, that's important because I'm going to do something with that stick here in just a minute. I'm going to do something with that. Guys, just grab that thing as it goes by. If that's you, I'll wait for you. Come on now. I'll wait for you. Oh, that thing's going to break right now. See, that's, that's a measuring stick. See that measuring stick? That's how you've been measuring God with that thing. That's how you've been measuring him. Your, your conception is within those inches right there. Yeah, it is. It's right there. Just grab that thing. See, that's, that's your stick. Lay hold of that one more time. I, I, we're going to do something with this in just a second. That's, your, that's, that's, the way that's just a representation of how you've seen God and, and how, you've, how you've just kind of limited him in certain areas. Yeah, just grab that thing there. See, I just want you touching that. I just want you to get a hold of that for just a minute. See, I just, I see that, 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 everybody's grabbed a hold of that stick. That's, that's our measuring stick. This, this is the old way of viewing things. In fact, it's not so much that old is bad. It's not, it's not about old, even new. It's about God. How does God see it? How, he, how does he look at it? What are his thoughts on the matter? What is he asking me to do? Where do I need to be? Because right now, I, I, I've tried measuring it. And you know what? Every time I measure it, no matter how big I measure it. And you know what? I could, I could run through this whole church measuring. And how many of you know? That still box, boxes God in. And this is what we're going to do. I want you to lift your hands right now. As under the Lord. And, and right now, just lift your hands up. Father, I pray right now that, that, Lord, you would see as individual people. And that, Lord, you would see as a church. As we have gathered here today. Leaving 2007, looking to 2008, that Lord, we want you to know that we don't want you in our box. Lord, we've created a box and asked you to somehow fit in it. And, and Lord, how, how absolutely presumptuous was it of us to even think that you would be confined to that limited situation. So Lord, right now, Lord, we've all touched it, we've seen it, we've brought our measuring sticks to you. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, come on, I want you to look. I want everybody to look right now. I want you to watch this. This is, this is your stick and this is my stick. I want you to watch this right now. In the name of Jesus, watch. Are you watching? You don't want to keep your stick anymore, do you? I mean, you want God to move in your life? I mean, I want God to move. Oh. I don't, want him to, I don't want him to fit here. I want him out of this scenario. He's bigger than this. Come on. In the name. Come on now. God's bigger than your sticks. In the name of Jesus. We break the stick. Yes. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! I, 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 don't, I don't want a chance of putting that back together again. Now, now you just let God out of the box. He's out of the box. He's out of the box. He's at a place where he can do, he can do exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ask or think. Yes, he can. Now, hear me now. 
We, we, we broke it. The only way that can get back together again is if you put it back together again. Now, I'm telling you, I can't, I can't come tell you to keep it broke and keep it there. You're, you're going to have to work at that. I will assure you the enemy will come about a day from now and he'll start bringing the glue for you. And, and he'll, he'll help you paste it all back together again. And it may look a little ra- ragtaggy, but you'll say, oh, I can still use it to measure. No. Letting God out of the box. Amen. Amen. Father, right now, I pray, Lord, that that, that spirit of the thing would start catching in your people here. Lord, I, I don't know. I, I can only share just two, three, four things. But Lord, I, I, there may be 40 things in their list, Lord. And I pray right now that this moment, this moment in their life would be that would, would be that moment that, Lord, all those areas that they would love to see you work in, Lord, will come to pass because they broke the measuring stick. They broke the line that you will do exceedingly abundantly. Lord, we think it'd be awesome if you just worked in our box. How puny do we think? Lord, we need a great and awesome God to do great and awesome things. Lord, do that in your people. Do it in them right now. Lord, these are your people. Lord, I do my best to share things with them, but ultimately, they're your people, and you must live big in them. So, Lord, do your work right now. I, I, just, I just sow a spirit of expectation in you for 2008. I just, I just speak the impossible to begin to be possible inside of your lives in 2008 in Jesus' name. I speak change, dramatic change that you've been longing for to come to pass in 2008. Lord, we're not looking for just the get-by spirit. We want to see the exceeding abundant thing begin to take place. Lord, we're not looking for just a drizzle. We're looking for the deluge. Lord, we're not wanting the spirit with measure, but Lord, we're looking for what Jesus said, that he would give us the spirit without measure. Lord, that's what we're beginning to look for. Look for it. Anticipate it. Expect it. Believe it. Confess it. Just, just let the world think you've lost your mind. But don't you put that measuring stick back up there. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. And Lord, let it be now established, sealed. Let it be so. I, you know what I, I really do? I sense a word stirring. I sense, I sense a word stirring. Is there a word? I, I mean, we won't, we won't force it, but I, I just, it's like the Lord said, Terry, just a moment. Hang on, Mary. Hang on just a second. Give me some heat, guys, in this one. I believe that the Lord just wants to remind us that he isn't going to bring someone or people of great income or great stature to this church necessarily, but he's going to increase those that are already here. Mm, he good. said that before, and he's been reminding me today through this, through pastor's word, that he is, his intention or his, his good work, I believe, for this coming year is to increase those of us that are already here. Mm. We just haven't had the capacity to receive it. And I believe that pastor is trying to, through his uh, instruction, trying to enlarge that which God wants to place inside. Amen. Amen. Come on now. You receive that. You believe that? If you're here, that God's enlarging you, increasing you? Sure. Sure. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Blessed be your name, O God. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name. As you stay in his presence, you see what, what that, it just, it, 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 you're breaking things. As you, as you just tarry in his presence for just another moment, things are being broken right now in Jesus' name. Come on, now let him do it. Let him do it. You've, you've, you've thought about how or this is how you do it or, and just break it in Jesus' name. God never does it like you think he's going to do it. You would think after all the years some of us have served him 
including myself, I'd get to the place where I'd just say, you know what, he never does it like I think he's going to do it. And, that, and the reason he does it is because he wants to move beyond our thinking, our mentalities, our boxes. Thank you, Lord, for doing that right now. Thank you, Lord, right now for the children who will now start a life believing you for great and mighty things all the days of their life. Thank you for the young people, Lord, who will go to schools and will believe you for the inconceivable and the unbelievable. Thank you, Lord, for the adults that are here this day, Lord, that are, are repenting and turning from that which they walked into a place, Lord, where they will now believe you for that exceeding abundant thing. Thank you, Lord, that you're doing that right now. You're doing that. Would you just, with me, just begin to thank the Lord? That's how you receive things, by thanking Him. Thank Him, Lord. I receive your work in my life. Lord, I receive that breaking of all of my measuring sticks in Jesus. I receive that in Jesus' name in my life. I, I receive... I receive the truth that in 2008, I am crossing, I am crossing a river that I'm not going back. I'm receiving right now the understanding that you are leading me to a destination, Lord, that is a good and perfect place. And that I, I receive that in the name of Jesus, Lord. I'm not going to look back and think what if and measure things again. I'm not going to try to get all the understanding of what has been. I'm forgetting what lies behind and I'm pressing forward to what's ahead. The high calling. The high calling in Christ Jesus. And Lord, I receive that. Come on, everyone together, just say, I receive that. I receive that into my spirit. I receive it. I lay hold of it. I seize it into my spirit. Just get a little irritated and just say, 2008, it's, it's just 300, just 365 days. Come on now. We can end next year in a position where we have seen the hand of God in ways that's beyond what we could have conceived today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you're not just going to meet needs. You're going to exceed that meeting of needs. Thank you, Lord, that you're not just going to come through and we get by, but you're going to blow our socks off in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. to repeat it that the Lord said forgetting those things which are behind I press on toward the goal that's what Paul said he did not say I meander on mm. he did not say I, I lackadaisical walk on there's going to be a pressing we're going to have to press some of you kids Tyrone I feel like the Lord is saying to you son you have made a decision you have had good intentions for a long time now but the Lord is saying this coming Wednesday when you go back to school son it's got to be different you've got to press through that crowd of those boys that always meet you and they greet you and they act like they love you but they lead you down a path to destruction the Lord would say Tyrone honey you press on you press through them Amen. because there are godly people waiting in that school for you some of us have got to press on we can't be Andrew we, we are too we are too lazy in the things of the Lord we are lazy we do not want to work but the Lord is saying, if you will press, if you will just press a little bit, you will see that I am waiting on the other side to yank your arm and pull you through to deliverance. I am there That's to pull good. you through to destiny. But you've got to press. That This is not for the faint of heart. Remember the word that came to us at Roar Out of Zion two years ago. It said, I am calling this church, this body, to change this city. But it is not for the faint of heart. If you'll get that word out That's and read right. it, that's exactly what it says. It is not for the faint of heart. Because God is calling us to be an army in this city. We're not here to be a club. We're not here to be the country club. We're not here to be the socialites. We're here to be the warriors. And we got to press and we got to take that hill. When it doesn't feel good, we got to take that hill. And God can do it and we can do it. Amen. And we can see hundreds, Amen. hundreds of souls won this year and in this church being discipled if we will press. And I'm speaking to myself, it doesn't feel good to press. It doesn't feel good to get on that elliptical. It doesn't feel good to get on that body, that total gym thing we've got. It doesn't feel good. <laughs> I want to quit. And in the spiritual, it's not going to feel good because the enemy is already... Um, Andrea already told me this. the enemy is fighting us isn't he Louise he's already fighting us because he knows watch out when we start fasting on January 2nd the devil better watch it but the fact of the matter is we've got to be ready don't you think we're not going to get a couple slaps because we will because he is afraid of us but we can take it we can take the city and we can do all things through him not through us not through him 
but through him, we can do all things. Amen. 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 Blessed be the name of our God. I'm telling you, there's breakthrough. I, 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 there's something, there's life for me right now in this, in this fasting. I realize probably about day 10 in the 40 days. I don't know if I'm, I'm believing the life's going to be there still. But there's life in it. Because God's telling me that he, there, there are things that are going to be broken. That can be broken no other way. Deliverance that can happen no other way. Just two or three of you would just link up with me and do this. From January 2nd, and the fast ends February the 10th. We'll actually fast through Encounter Weekend. We're going to fast right before Ski Invasion. I, I believe we can set things in motion for 2008 in these 40 days. I, I mean, you think about what a, what a meal or two to miss. Well, I mean, is that really that big a deal in the grand scheme of what God would want to do in your life? I, I mean, if, if, if only you could get a picture of what God has for you, then whatever sacrifices he's calling you to at this moment will, will pale in insignificance. If you could only see, that's our problem. We can't see. We've got it measured. And once we measure it, we say, I don't know if it's worth it. I measured it and I got it all figured out. And I'm just not sure it's worth that sacrifice. Well, that's our problem is that our, our measurements aren't worth any sacrifice. But when you see what God can do and you see the inconceivable and unbelievable and the exceeding abundant and then realize he's just asking me just to give up some meat here and there to, make, to turn the television off a little bit. I mean, you start thinking about it. I mean, that's pretty, pretty minuscule compared to that awesomeness. Lord, that's easy. That's not a sacrifice anymore. That's easy. And I'm in it. I'm in it. I want you to be in it too. Amen. Father, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for the faith that's arising here. And Lord, right now, Lord, I just, I just pray as I have before that this would become one of those moments, Lord, where we have stepped up in the spirit... And, Lord, we just say we will stand fast here. We're not going back down the mountain. We're going to continue to press as we've been exhorted, continue to press on and upward in you. And, Lord, we're just, we're just declaring right now we shall stand and we shall move forward and we shall see your hand in some incredible ways. And, Lord, we just thank you in advance. We're going to be a people who walk by faith, saying thank you, Lord, for, for doing everything we need done in 2008. Before it even gets started, we just declare every need met. Lord, there's going to be an abundance in the house. We declare souls saved. We declare seats filled. We declare career opening up. We declare raises are coming. Bonuses are coming. We declare job changes. We declare that people will be increased in this house. Lord, we thank you here on the last Sunday of 2007 that it is done in 2008. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hey, turn around and be an encouragement to each other before you go. Look somebody in the eye and say, God is greater than what we think. And you're released. God bless you.